From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. You know, you need to be okay with failing. Because, like, not every cocktail or not every dish, like, for a chef can be a success. You need to go for it, always go for it. And then sometimes, yeah, you, you fall on your ass and then you stand back up. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, Stories Behind Cookbooks. And you just heard from bartender Christian Rolique, today's guest. And today's show is the first in our four-part drinks week. Stay tuned the rest of this week to hear from other leading voices in cocktail and wine writing. Now, Christian oversees the bar programs for the Luke Restaurant Group in Los Angeles, which includes Suzanne Goen's AOC and Luke. He's originally from the Netherlands, and he just published his first book, Bar Chef. In today's show, we'll talk with Christian about the influence that bars had on him at an early age, about what led him to becoming a bartender, and how he approaches his work as a bar chef. Plus, we're playing a cocktail game at the end, and of course, we're stopping by Omnivore Books in San Francisco to chat with Celia Sack. And we've got recipes from Christian's bar chef, the Spring Negroni and the White Bowl. All of that today on Salt and Spine Drinks Week. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where Christian Rolique joined us to talk cookbooks. Uh, hi, Christian. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Good. Did I get your name right? <laughs> close <laughs> no it's perfect it's okay. perfect yeah thank you uh, well thank you for joining us on salt thank and spine you. thank you glad to have you and we're you're here to promote your first cookbook bar chef yeah. handcrafted cocktails i love that you call it a cookbook yes it is a cookbook. <laughs> i think it's a cookbook right so like i feel it's uh, a, a cookbook for um for bartenders so like uh-huh. there's a lot of stuff and a lot of time spent in the kitchen uh, by me in general so it reflects in the book. Yeah. Making your syrups and stuff, making your liqueurs. Like, I'm not afraid of yeah. stepping in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It can be an intimidating place, by the way. Like, yeah. it, oh, it definitely can yeah. be. Um, I want to come back to that, but I want to yeah. actually start with your childhood. So you grew up in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, and you write in the book that bars and taverns were sort yeah. of a presence in your life yeah. pretty early on, even. Yeah. And you'd go to dinner at the local tavern. Yes. Um, and they sort of had a... A, something that drew you to that yeah. even at a young age is yeah. that right yeah the hospitality okay yeah because yeah. you know like here in the united states we're used to like a turnaround of a table which is completely normal because that's it's a business in the end over there like you sit you sit you don't want to leave you don't want to leave like you want another bottle of wine you drink another bottle of wine the restaurant doesn't close until you leave a check is not presented until you ask for it and that hospitality that warmth like of being welcome i really enjoy yeah. Yeah. And you sensed that even as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, cause you know, like you go with your parents and like, so we go to this tavern in, in our village because I grew up in like cobblestone, petting Sioux kind of village. Uh huh. So we're finished eating. Everybody's gone. And like we're still sitting there. And, and then the owner cleaned the restaurant already. And then he grabs a chair and he sits on the table with us and we talk. And it's not like he was. Like a friend that we invite for dinner or anything, but like my parents had great conversation with them and it, it felt, felt very welcoming. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Like still today, like I, I don't clean my bar until everybody's gone. Right. It's just like, cause I, I want people to feel welcome until, you know, they leave, they pay for that. Right. Like, yeah, and that's a relatively like subtle thing, but something yeah. you, as a customer, you really notice, right? If yeah. somebody's 
cleaning when you're still sitting there. Oh, so like, you know, like when you go to a restaurant, they say like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, we don't serve coffee anymore. Like, what do you mean you don't serve coffee? I just spent 300 bucks for dinner. Like, you know, I want to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this local tavern you went to as a kid is also the same one that then you later got a job at. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. When you were young teens, like 14, 15. Yeah, it was hilarious. Like, so I was, it looked cool. I wanted to work there. You know, I wanted to be part of it. And so when I was 14, like I knocked on the door and like, I was, I wasn't like an old 14. I wasn't like a 14 year old who knew what the hell he wanted or anything. I was just like, Oh, that that looks really cool to work here. I should just ask. Yeah. And so like I asked, he's like, you know what, kid, you're a little young. And so why don't you come back next year? So like, like literally like when I was 15, I knocked on the door again. It's like, I'm 15. What do you think? (laughs) It's like, all right. Like, cause he, I was so passionate about it and so wanted to work there. And she's like, okay fine like so he gave me dishwashing job and okay. like uh yeah so that's what i did like yeah. dishwashing and then i started helping out in the, uh, in the front of the house uh with the orders and it was fun yeah i really enjoyed it and and at some point then you moved to america yeah you, that's uh many years later many though. years later yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10 years later actually. 10 years yeah, later something okay like that. yeah and you work sort of various different jobs but aren't oh. really bartending you sort nope. of move to america and pursue yeah. acting a little bit yep. is that right yep i went to acting class in los angeles okay yeah yeah, I did a lot of things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lots of different jobs. <laughs> yeah, that's how life goes. And then somehow you end up bartending again. Is that yes. right? Or not again, yeah. rather. You weren't bartending when you were 15. So, so like, no, like before I left the Netherlands, I worked in a nightclub in Amsterdam. Okay. And, I, and I really got a, a taste and a feel of like, like club bars kind of idea. Yeah. Like, like literally banging out drinks like all night long, like right. till like four in the morning, people doing drugs and craziness and stuff. Sure. And it's, you know, when you're early twenties, that's super exciting. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And, uh, when I moved to uh, Los Angeles, I didn't, I didn't have a working permit, so I didn't really get into that right away. Okay. And then, uh, once I got a working permit, I was like, you know what? Like, uh, I need to have some, some kind of income, like a steady income. So I went to a, a restaurant called Le Deux Cafe. Mm-hmm. And back then it was owned by a, a fashion lady called Michelle Lamy and her husband. Her husband or muse, or she was the muse, but like uh, Rick Owens, very famous fashion designer. Uh-huh. And it was all fashion people lounging and drinking champagne and smoking cigarettes. And it was really cool, like really interesting uh, culture. Yeah. And that's where I really learned how to bartend, actually. Like uh, step behind the bar, you know, line up your booths and set up your glasses, get your eyes, get your juices. Like, you know, I really got that feeling. And you'd always sort of been drawn to bars, but even then, did you know, like, when you're in that job, that that was going to be a career for no. you, or was that just sort of to pay the no. bills? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Nobody ever thinks like, you know what, like, I'm going to be bartending <laughs> for the rest of my life, like, right. you know, like that kind of just happens, right? Like, uh, so yeah, like I worked at Le Deux Cafe, and then I started working at at Luke, right? And uh, Luke is a very famous restaurant in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It's owned by. Uh, James Beard Award winning chef and yeah. a James Beard Award winning restaurateur. Mm-hmm. Um, Suzanne Gowen. Suzanne Gowen and Carolyn Stein. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, they're a power couple in, uh, yeah. well, they're not a couple, but like, um, they're a powerhouse in, right. uh, in Los Angeles food scene. But then when I started, I had no idea who these women were. Like, you know, I was just like, ah, oh, pay, pay my way through college <laughs> and like, you know, like make some drinks and everybody's going to be happy. And then one day I came up with drinks. Because they asked me, can you come up with a drink? I was like, yeah, I think I can do that. Uh-huh. And like, there was so much freedom in that. If you go to the walk-in and you can grab anything you want to make something with, 
it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, and that, then that's the first time that I really enjoyed another aspect of bartending because I, I always made somebody else's drinks. I never made my own drinks. Right. And then, so I, I came up with this, this fun drink. It's not very, not too complicated. And then I had a catering event and they took that drink and they gave it to 300 people. Uh huh. And they messed it up. Like it wasn't the drink that I, it was a fine drink, but it wasn't the drink that I made. Okay. You know, like, yeah. and then I went to the catering, um, director, which is Jessica Gowan, Suzanne Gowan's sister. Uh huh. I said, like, it's not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> and she, she looked at me and she's like, well, would you like to make it next time for us? And I'm, I'm like thinking about this, like, well, that's a lot of work, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to right. get myself into. Right. And, uh, and then I started making it and, and through catering, like suddenly, like we do high clientele kind of stuff. You do celebrities, uh, celebrity weddings and uh-huh. suddenly I'm doing these celebrity weddings and, and I just rolled into it. And then suddenly I was, the bar guy at Luke. Yeah. Kind of of that. Just sort of. <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And so you just sort of started like tinkering and experimenting yeah. with different foods and things. Totally. I mean, and some of it, a lot of it, I think, was inspired by the food coming out of the kitchen. Absolutely. Luke. Yeah. Because you have a, a very much of an advantage when you work in a restaurant like that. Um, cause they, they come out with amazing food. It's organic and right. but like, uh, the closest thing that, uh, a bartender in general works with is the, the pastry uh, department. And they, they had some really cool stuff. Like, so I always picked up like new syrups or new sweet stuff that I could mix with my sours. And okay. yeah, like, and I really started playing around with that. The freshness of the salads that came out, I tried to work that in with gin cocktails and stuff. And really try to find a balance between the food that they were serving and the cocktails that I was making. Yeah. Yeah. And you use the term bar chef, which is the yes. title of your book yeah. as well. Is there a, how did that term sort of come to be? And why do you think that well, fits with your, your work? It's, it's a difficult one. Cause like I'm, I'm, I don't like to call myself like boss or jefe or chef, or uh-huh. I, I just do something that I really enjoy doing. And like, uh, I, I do use a lot of chef element or like, you know, kitchen elements in my drinks and the bar. So, <laughs> right. Uh, and I do spend a significant amount of time next to the chefs in the kitchen. And so that kind of rolled into it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how you develop a cocktail then? Like you give a couple examples at the beginning of yeah. the book of like the, um, leaf and spear, for yeah. instance, or the Moscow margarita and how yes. those sort of became invented via a dish that was coming out of yeah, the kitchen. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, the, uh, Moscow margarita. That was an interesting one because it was for, uh, a party where Jonathan Gold was going to be. Okay. Are you familiar with Jonathan Yeah. The Sorry, former uh, LA yeah. Times. Yes. Food critic who's yeah. passed away. Yes. Um, Pulitzer Prize food critic. Yes. Yeah. Really <laughs> so, changed the entire industry of food Los Angeles and yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah. Especially put the yeah. LA food scene on the map. Yeah. But, uh, but I did not know who this man was. <laughs> okay. Cause, yeah. cause <laughs> I, w- I was just making drinks. Sure. And like, uh, his friend who was, the, who was throwing the party, he comes in and he's like, Hey, you know what, Christian? Uh, can you come up with the margarita? Like, uh, I want to do a, a dinner at the bar. I'm like, yeah, it sounds really cool. He's like, I just need you to do me a favor. Like, you need to tell Suzanne that one of my friends that's coming is Jonathan Gold. I'm like, all right. Okay. And I, I don't know who Jonathan Gold is. So like, I'm like, all right, sure. Uh, and anyhow, so like I go to the back where the GM, Matt Duggan is, and I say like, Hey, Matt, um, 
he wanted me to tell uh, Suzanne that uh, Jonathan Gold is coming in or so. And, and like the GM, he sits up in his chair and he's like, what? Jonathan Gold is here. And like, no, no, no. Like he's coming to the party. And, and like, he's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, like, so like, you know, all everybody was there. And like, and then, then he explained to me that he's a Pulitzer Prize food critic for right. LA Weekly back then. Uh huh. And he's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm like, Oh fuck, dude, what are going to make for this guy? Like, right. You know, because even though he doesn't come for my cocktails, he's still going to sit at my bar. Yeah. You know, like, right. And you're still going to serve him a drink and he's still going to look at it like, What's this kid doing? Uh, so I was like, I wanted to have a drink that when it goes out, everybody's going to look at it. It's like, oh, I wonder what that is. So I ended up to be roasted beets. And uh, so I played with the roasted beets and I had tequila, but it never came together. And I tried all these ingredients. And then one day I had this uh, Razzle Hanout, uh, yeah. like a, a powder form. I was like, you know what would be cool? To add Razzle Hanout to this. And originally I just added like a, a sprinkle of Razzle Hanout, uh, like, like a spice in there. Right. But now I made a syrup out of it, which gives it a much more like depth uh, to the cocktail. That that's how it evolved. Yeah, um, yeah. But like you always try to f- match ingredients. Sometimes they don't necessarily in your head. Like maybe it will work, kind of thing. Right. And then when it really works, like oh, this is cool. Yeah, it totally works. Of course it works because I thought of it. But like, <laughs> right, yeah. But it's kind of like <laughs> not every time. Yeah, no. It <laughs> so I'm sure you've had a lot of flops then. Uh, yeah, you do some dumb stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but that's also how you know, um, how you figure it out. Now I'm right. at, at a thing that you kind of know what goes and you can kind of figure it out in your head. And it's just like a nuanced thing. So like maybe I should use one ounce or half an ounce or a little less or more or yeah. of certain things. But that wasn't always the case now. Right. Like, uh, yeah, I, I just had some, uh, one day, like it was Father's Day and, uh, so I had to come up with a Father's Day drink. It's like, ah, oh, you know, be cool, like an old fashioned drink, like, uh-huh. uh, with a cigar kind of smoky flavor. So like, I was like, so I took a cigar, I took the leaves off and I made a cigar syrup. Okay. Now, <laughs> the only thing that I forgot is that tobacco has nicotine in there. <laughs> right. And so when you make a, a syrup with that, the syrup is going to have nicotine in that. <laughs> right. So when I had a fucking, excuse my English, when I had a zip, like literally my, Stomach just like turned like a quarter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is disgusting. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had to scratch that. Yeah. 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 There's always dumb stuff that you do. And like, but that, that's how you learn. Like, if you don't do, if you don't embrace your mistakes, then you'll never come with something good. Right. You know, you need to be okay with failing because like not every cocktail or not every dish, like for a chef can be a success. You need to, Go for it. Always go for it. And then and sometimes, yeah, you, you fall on your ass and then you stand back up. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you mentioned the Raz Al Hanu syrup that you made. Your book is full of a lot of the recipes that you've created for yes. syrups like yeah. that and and even homemade bitters yep. and um, um, brandied cherries from scratch. Yeah. When did you sort of start moving in that direction of creating sort of every piece of the cocktail from scratch? So... So I, I was, I told you earlier, I was actually paying my way through college by bartending. Right. And so bartending was always just there. It was just, it was just money. And I was really not what I envisioned in doing. Yeah. But then I finished college and, and they made me an offer to take one of their restaurants and take the bar program there. And so I did and I really enjoyed it. But like all these other bartenders in Los Angeles were moving up and they had like all these really cool ice cubes and like blah, blah, blah. And like, uh-huh. but 
but we are a restaurant restaurant so we don't have room for a fancy ice machine you know like like there's there's a little bit things that we just don't have because we are about the food right you know first i i was trying to find a way how i can incorporate the philosophy that suzanne has in the kitchen and then to the front of the house and she makes everything from scratch right when you eat a sausage it's, it's made from scratch when right. you have a sauce it's made from scratch like you know like You start with stock and then you build your way to something else. So I wanted to translate that to the front of the house, to the bar. And I started with like uh, making bitters, making orange liqueur. Um, also from a, a financial point of view, because like I was responsible for the cost of everything. And I was like, sure. you know, thinking like, how can I incorporate it to be cool and affordable? Right. And like, uh, so then, then I started making orange liqueur. And also, it's just fun to like see if it works. And you're like, can I be better than Cointreau? Yeah. Can I be better than Grand Marnier? Like, you know, of course I want to be better. Than, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you try to figure out and tinker your way out. And my dream was actually to have a, a Luke Martini. So how cool okay. would it be if you make your own gin, your own vermouth, and your own bitters? And then you have a cocktail that's a martini kind right. of thing. However, dry <laughs> vermouth is kind of hard to make. Let's put it this way, coming up with a recipe, because there's no recipes laying around online that's like, oh, this is how you make vermouth, because they're all secret. Right. You know? <laughs> right. We have been making this for generations. Like, <laughs> right. you know, we're yeah. not going to give up any recipes. <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot of playing and a lot of making mistakes and then putting it aside and redoing it. And then one day I made sweet vermouth and it worked. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. It actually tastes like vermouth. Like, you know? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, and then I started going back to the dry vermouth, started making that. And then I was like, well, now I need to make Campari because now then you can make a Negroni. Sure. Because, you know, like, <laughs> I have these two already. So, and then I started tinkering with Campari, which turned out to be so much more difficult than I thought. And Campari has so many more nuances than I originally thought it had. Yeah. Because when you taste Campari, it tastes bitter, tastes right. a little sweet and it's red. Right. You know, <laughs> yes. And, and then you start making it and, and it tastes nothing like Campari does. You're like, oh, let's see what I can do different. You right. know, like, how can I get that flavor profile? And then like, cause actually what you get is a uh, bitter, sweet and a whole row of nuances that all like go are very low and subtle that you never think about, but they are there. Yeah. So first when I make Campari, so it's super bitter, like, and, And super big and every other flavor that I threw in there, you taste it as well, which you're not supposed to. Right. <laughs> so then I start cutting flavors and, um, and it's, it's really a, like, like a painting that just comes together and, and it takes forever. Yeah. But it's fun. Like yeah. I, I enjoyed that process of creating a recipe. Yeah. And I just kept, I didn't look back. And so like then you make cherry liqueur and then, you know. Right. Yeah. We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with Christian Rolique, author of Bar Chef. Every Tuesday on Salt and Spine, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Alison Roman to today's guest, Christian Rolique, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring in-person interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, host incredible live shows, and so much more. So 
Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content, starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash salt and spine. Salt and Spine is proud to have storytelling partners like Edible San Francisco. In the upcoming issue, hear from three women, Lenora Estrada of Three Babes Bake Shop, Janelle St. Jean of Pietisserie, and Elizabeth Simon of Revenge Pies, on how they're speaking out on behalf of women in minority-owned businesses, building up their operations, and paying it forward to their communities. Subscribe now to ensure you don't miss compelling stories of how San Francisco eats at ediblesanfrancisco.com. And now back to our conversation with Christian Rolique, author of Bar Chef. When did you decide you wanted to make a cookbook then? Well, so it's interesting because you always, like, I always write recipes down. Okay. So, like, uh, when you go to my house, like, the, my wife actually keeps them together. Because <laughs> okay. I'm, like, the most disorganized person <laughs> in the world. Well, sure. not, not, not really, but, like, yeah. There's so, like, you open the drawer and there's, like, recipes everywhere, like, written on, like, the backs of, like, little coasters and stuff. Uh-huh. On, on napkins, on like pieces of paper. Uh, cause you know, you, you don't really have a book behind the bar to write things right. in, you know, like. Yeah, the literal back of the napkin. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you do have. Yeah. So I had a whole stack of that. And then like, I, I tried to put them together for my bartenders. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this is a lot of recipes I have. And then I, I made a whole binder for catering cause trying to, you know, like show clients what we can make. I was like, well, I have a really a lot of recipes. And so, I, so then I went to Zen. I was like, hey, I have a lot of recipes. What do you, what do you think? He's like, well, you need an agent. <laughs> yeah. and I was like, well, all right. <laughs> so like she introduced me to her agent. Okay. And like she loved the idea of like having like originally the original idea was, um, to have a, a farm to table cocktail book that's seasonal. So just like Suzanne's, um, Sunday supper, spring, right. Summer, fall kind of book. And then I was putting the recipes and I was like organizing them. And then spring is kind of really difficult. Like, cause winter is like f- full of citrus and that's really cool. Yeah. But spring has a bunch of beans and greens and yeah, I don't have a whole lot of recipes that have been <laughs> right. in that category. Right. So I was like, uh, oh, this is not a good one. So like then I laid it out by liquor instead and, and that really worked. And I introduced it to the agent. Agent loved it. And then, uh, we had to write a proposal. You, sure. ever, you ever written a proposal before? I've proposal, but not for a cookbook. <laughs> uh, so, so like, I had never written a proposal before. So yeah. like, uh, so like, it's like, can you send me like a, an idea of what it looks like? And it was 80 pages long. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, Oh my God, 80 pages. Like, this is my whole book. You right. <laughs> so, so, so like, I wrote 10 pages and I sent it back and I had like lifestyle pictures in there. And like, I think I have five of those 10 pages for photos. And she's like, this sucks, Christian. I was like, Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I felt so, I felt defeated. Oh, and like, that's uh, what your agent said. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh, "This is not going to work." Like, I failed miserably. Like, you know. And then she calls me two weeks later. And he's like, "Christian, are we going to do this or what?" And I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. And she's like, "Well, you know, some people write recipes and some people write books. You need to have a writer." So uh, we got a writer, Carolyn Carreño. Uh, she writes all Nancy Silverton's uh, cookbooks as well. Uh-huh. Uh, James Beard, award-winning food writer on her own as well. Yeah. And she wanted to work with me. And so she wrote the proposal. Norton bought it. And we started writing. Yeah. Yeah. 
are there books, cookbooks or other books, either cocktail books yeah. or cookbooks that have been really influential to you in your career or yeah. that you turned to when you were doing this? Yes. For so like, uh, uh, the Amara book uh-huh. from Brett Parson. Yeah. Uh, as well, the bitters book from Brett Parson. Like I, I really like the way he writes and like he, he writes his bitters as like, it's a recipe that you just take and you know, can make it your own. That's the idea. Sure. Like it's, it's not a tell all like this is the bitter recipe. This is a bitter recipe that you can make your own kind of right. thing. And I really like that non pretentious, uh, feeling. And then, um, uh, one of my favorite is the flavor, uh, Bible. That's, uh, I work a lot with that. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure book. you have it up here. Yeah. It's somewhere on the wall. I think I see it there in that fourth shelf. Uh, so they, so it was really interesting because like when I started making cocktails, I always thought like you have to make things from scratch and you're like you have to be an original, a true original because otherwise it's not a cocktail that you came up with. Like, right. cause everybody can make like a play in a margarita, you know, it's not that difficult. Sure. But then I saw all the other bartenders did that and I was like, well, maybe I should just make the flavors more interesting and play around with it. Yeah. That, like, so I was making these true original recipes and they weren't like a margarita. They weren't like anything. They were like, just cool recipes. Right. And then like one day, uh, one of the waiters, he brings in a book and, and everything that I tried worked because I tried it and failed and tried it again. Cause I didn't know what flavor. I mean, you kind of know what flavors go well together, but in the flavor Bible, there's actually flavors that you, Oh, I never thought of that. That'd be kind of cool. So he gave me this book, this waiter and, and a whole new world opened up for me. Yeah. Cause I didn't have to research everything. And fail miserable and do it again. Cause I had a book that just told me, right. Oh, this goes with that. And that goes with that. And you know, right. Yeah. So a great resource. So, so for me, that's a, a really, when I make a recipe, that's kind of like a book that I always, uh, there's many in my, my flavor Bible has a lot of, how do you call it, ears and, yeah. and written notes in there. And, right. Um, yeah, I would love to write uh, something like that for cocktails. Actually, like, yeah, that'd be uh, a dope book. Yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah, when you were sitting down to do the book, you also you your book is pretty personal too. Yes, it has a lot of you in there. Yes. I mean, we talked a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, but you also talk about um, your first wife yes. and um, her struggle with cancer, yeah. and there's a lot of you in this book, which yes. I think someone who might be browsing a bookstore mm. and interested in cocktails and picking up a book might not expect right. so much of that. Did you know from the beginning you wanted to make it that Yes, yeah, so originally I wanted it to be a lifestyle book. And because okay. like in my experience, like the home bartender doesn't have a fancy bar, right. doesn't have a fancy kitchen to make any of that stuff. So for me, that's one I wanted to show how people make cocktails at home yeah, or how you can make it at home at your home kitchen kind of thing. And that is very personal. Like, you know, cause you go to somebody's house or uh, the interaction between the bartender and the guest that I have at my restaurant is also, you know, people tell me things they, they, they don't tell their spouses, you know, right. like, and that's a really interesting thing and a very personal thing. And I, so I feel like, you know, it's just part of it. Like when, um, yeah. when I, when we started writing the book, cause I did a lot of things in my life and some of them are really dumb <laughs> and like, but I'm here telling the story. So they're now kind of cool, you know, <laughs> right, like <'cause> right. <laughs> I didn't end up in jail. Like I didn't end up on drugs. Like right. I'm going to turn out to be okay. Sure. And so it's a cool to tell these stories. Um, but like I, I wrote a list for my, my writer and I said like, things you should know about me. 
Yeah. Like, you know, okay. like, cause like, it can, it's going to come up and like, we're going to use it or, and so I wrote a whole list of like, yes, I did this, do this. I did do that. I did that. Da, 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 da. Like, um, you should know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, must be a fascinating so, list. You don't want to just like drop that on the street, probably <laughs> have a stranger find it. You know, like, or do you? So, so it's interesting because like you live your life, um, a certain way. And like, I like to live my life without regrets. Like, and you can look at the dumb things that you do and, and learn from it. And then everything is fine. So like, I don't, and I'm not ashamed of the things that I did. Yeah. I wrote it in the book. Like, right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you right. know, like, it, when you're in Thailand, I don't know if you read that, like in the jungle and people smoke opium, then you're like, oh, yeah, let's check it out. Right. You know, like, why not? Like, yeah. Because you live one life and then, oh, I remember like, you don't want to be like 60 and tell your kid, hey, yeah, I was in Thailand. And like, yeah, everybody was doing that except for me because, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I know, like, I want to try it all. Like, you're going to die one day. And then you didn't try it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to live my life like a boy's dream like yeah. travel with the carnival move to the united states it's like all like yeah very um naive maybe a little bit but like fun yeah yeah exactly yeah. well it's a great book it's very thank you man personal the recipes are awesome we always end with a little game all right i so can't wait we've got some cards i yeah. <laughs> thought we'd play maybe two or three rounds so I want to put you to the test to see if you can draw an ingredient that we're going to pretend is coming out of the kitchen. Yes. And then draw a secret ingredient that you have to incorporate into a cocktail to pair with it. So you have your choice of, I think, proteins, vegetables, some other flavors um, for the food. Mm. And then the blue deck is your secret cocktail ingredient. Peas. Peas. Okay. So the kitchen is serving a pea dish tonight. Yes. Um, we don't know what else they're putting on the dish but peas are coming out of the kitchen and then let's draw a secret ingredient from the blue deck ah you kidding me (laughs) what is it (laughs) durian (laughs) we are putting you to the test (laughs) okay so then you have to pair a cocktail to serve with the pea dish that incorporates durian (laughs) or is it or is it impossible (laughs) we'll see uh it's interesting like so um durian is a very very strong flavor Mm mm-hmm um, and the peas are delicate and sweet. Right. Um, so the peas are going to be the dish. The durian is going to be the cocktail, right? Yes. Um, so peas for me, like, uh, uh, I'm thinking a clear spirit, gin, probably that's an obvious choice or maybe even vodka. Okay. Which I would never say, but like, cause it's clean. Right. And these are all big flavors. The big flavors in general for me, like I try to, play against other big flavors so maybe a geneva instead of gin uh durian this one might be impossible <laughs> no like the, the, the key to the, to using this ingredient is not using a lot okay like, yeah yeah it's gonna be a super tiny bit and it can be in a hint of it but that's really what you want otherwise it's going to overpower the whole day it's actually going to overpower your whole dinner right like and the whole right. the whole restaurant probably <laughs> right that yeah. goes up. exactly um, the whole block yeah, yeah. <laughs> i actually yeah. Ate, ate it in thailand yeah like, uh yeah because you had to try everything once you have to, yeah i tried good. it in thailand too did you like it no i didn't either <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Geneva, Mescal probably could work, but that becomes a little big drink or like a rum or get coal. Let's do a rum or get coal. 
and then it has to be clean because I was I, I like to make sours with it, but like I feel sour is too too uh, big of a drink for a pea dish. Yeah, can we make a liqueur of durian? Hmm, maybe. You know, like you uh, can really control the amount then. Yes, exactly. So that's what I probably do. I, I, and like, I don't know, like a third thing, like the you look at so Thailand, right? Gross in Thailand, cilantro, basil, Thai basil, Thai chilies, kind of thing, right? So probably work that in the drink as well, but I like, keep it super clean. Okay, I can I can almost envision it. I'm not sure I would yeah, want but, it, but no, no, I can kind of be up and like. But I think you're doing your or, best. Or, or a crushed ice, because like the crushed ice actually that's like true. Uh, diminishes the flavor as well. Right. Yeah, that's what I would do. Like a little basil and cilantro, little durian, and then um, just let's go with gin, just regular gin. Okay. Like a London dry. I think it could work. Yeah. If you put it on ice. the menu, I'll fly to LA <laughs> just to try that. Really? <laughs> like, oh, that's a challenge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious. Okay, let's do another okay, round. Yeah. That hopefully this one will yeah, be a little sorry. easier. Let's try a protein. All right. So this comes out of the kitchen. That comes out of the kitchen. Shrimp. shrimp. So there's a shrimp dish. Yes. On the menu tonight. Yes. And you have to incorporate a secret ingredient into a cocktail to pair. And it is. Kumquat. Ah, oh, kumquat. I love kumquats. Yeah. That feels a lot easier than the doing yeah. <laughs> that pairing. So you're thinking, uh, the, the first thing that I'm uh, thinking with the uh, shrimp is, uh, like hot sauce. Okay. Um, sambal. Uh huh. With the kumquats as well. Cause that's what they make, uh, sambal, uh, of like, uh, of a uh, shrimp paste. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. kumquats, uh, you can either probably like muddle them. That'd be the easiest way. And then, shrimp and tequila i would like that a lot actually and we should add something to that um keep it fresh so like i've actually the drink in the book with kumquat with kumquat and uh orziat and luxardo okay i love the combination of orziat and luxardo yeah um and then tequila and kumquats monk's dream yeah it's in the book okay yeah, that's what I would serve. Okay, awesome. And so I could keep it fresh. Like it's all about the freshness right. of the shrimp. I feel right. That sounds delicious. Yeah. Should we do one more to close us? Yeah, off? totally. Let's go. Ah, uh, what's that? Chives. Chives. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you're really pushing me now. <laughs> all right, something with chives is coming out of the kitchen tonight. And watermelon. So we've got a chive-heavy dish that we need to pair. Okay, a watermelon I mean, like cocktail. in essence, like I mean, like the freshness of the chives go obviously very well uh, to me. Uh, with the freshness of the watermelon. Right. So we use watermelon juice and the chash probably be in a salad kind of thing. Yeah. With a, I don't know, buttermilk dressing or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little mint in the watermelon as well. Very, keep it fresh and a little orange infused vodka. Okay. And, uh, I think we got a cocktail, a little lime. How do we serve it? We're going to serve it on the rocks. Mm hmm. And a little cucumber. Delicious. Well. So it stays all fresh. Yeah. I guess the idea. Super fresh. Yeah. I'm all for it. Right. Um, awesome. Yeah, those, man. those all sound pretty delicious. Thank so. you. But the durian. <laughs> that really was a tough one. <laughs> I, I like a tough one. I like a challenge. Yeah. You know, like, so like, uh, maybe I should buy one from the market. Yeah. I, I'm, if, if you make a drink, yes. I, I can't promise I'll fly there, but I'll consider it for sure. I'm like, I'm so intrigued. Are you pulling back? Are you pulling back? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you can like mail me a little yeah. sample. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun though. Well, 
So that was great. This I was love so it. fun. <laughs> Thanks so, so much yeah. for joining us. This was great. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Let's head now to Omnivore Books in San Francisco to chat with Celia Sack. Hi, Celia. How are you? Hello, Brian. I'm well. Great. So we just sat down with Christian Rolique to talk about, I think I'm getting his name right. We were, we did a little workshopping of how to pronounce it with the correct <laughs> accent, so I, I'm close. That's great. Um, to talk about his first cookbook, Bar Chef, and I'm hoping you have something to share with us. I loved this guy. He yeah. is so passionate about what he does, um, and I love that he works for Luke, the restaurant. Suzanne right. Goen's restaurants are so well lauded as they should be in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I feel like Christian really, he's not fussy about about what he does. And at the same time, he's very particular about the way that he mixes his drinks. They're unique and mm-hmm. um, just wonderful flavors mixed together. But at the same time, he doesn't care if you use a well vodka or, you know, right. to mix in or a well gin. He's He just really has an idea about what flavors go together and tart and sweet and things like that. And uh, and I think I got a little drunk during the event. It was <laughs> great. He brought his own uh, Negronis and oh, ooh, wow, they yeah. were fabulous. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that focus too on using ingredients is I think a thing we've seen in a few cocktail books recently, right? Sort of yes. like pulling from your fridge, sort of pulling things mm, together. That things you from your not... garden. But exactly, sometimes yeah. they're, you know, they're just awful. And they, <laughs> they can be stuffed with all these flowers sure. and you can't even get to the drink. <laughs> right. And I, I really like that his are, um, like I said, they're, they're not, uh, they're not fussy. They're right. not fancy. They're just, um, they are focused on the flavors that that get to go into them. Yeah, well, absolutely. I'm gonna have to try that Negroni now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Celia. Anytime. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned to the rest of this week as we talk with more wine and cocktail authors in our first ever Drinks Week. As always, you can find bonus content and recipes from all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Bar Chef, the Spring Negroni and the White Bowl. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And of course, you can join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash saltandspine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jed Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories behind the drinks books you love. 